Hey, sports fans, I've got a new show on SB Nation Radio. That's right, a national terrestrial radio show every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. So tune in on your local FM station or stream it live from SBNationRadio.com. I'll also post the show right here as a podcast the next day. You in? It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. What is up, sports fans? It is Coach Nick, and welcome to another edition of the B-Ball Breakdown. Happy to be here on a Tuesday and uh, some really good games on TNT tonight. Looking forward to that. We have one actually starting right now over in Boston. And then you can be sure I will be glued to the set to watch uh, the Rockets take on the Blazers. And we'll be on Twitter doing all sorts of live tweeting of that game. So stay tuned for that coming up later tonight. But uh, if you haven't missed it, I am Coach Nick. This is B-Ball Breakdown or the B-Ball Breakdown. And over on my YouTube channel where I create a lot of videos that break down uh, the game itself. I just did one on Wiggins and Andrew Wiggins being unhappy potentially in Minnesota. There were some reports coming out that uh, he might not really like where he's at right now, particularly because with Jimmy Butler out, he's getting tons and tons of ISOs and post-ups. And I'm sure he's sensing that Jimmy Butler will come back uh, sooner than later and he will lose a lot of that opportunity. And that's a frustration for him. So uh, I go over exactly how that works and why that might be a problem, uh, even though they signed him to a max contract and have him uh, for a while. So we'll have to see how that plays out. So. So uh, stay tuned for that. And then also, uh, I also did a video yesterday on the massive upset uh, of Virginia by UMBC. And uh, it was a really exciting game. I got a chance to watch the whole second half live, and I did a breakdown of that. And basically, I kind of eviscerated uh, Tony Bennett's whole philosophy on (laughs) way he plays basketball, which is really kind of stupid because the guy has been dominant for years now in Virginia. Uh, but I got to tell you that there's some, you know, distinctly non-modern aspects to the way he runs his offense and his defense that, I don't know, it just feels to me like it's going to eventually uh, catch up to him and they're going to have to adjust and change uh, or else, uh, you know, suffer more losses like that against uh, undermanned teams, even though you could argue his team was undermanned to some degree as well. So we have a great show coming up tonight. Can't wait to bring on Sean Hyken. We're going to talk a little bit about the Blazers and their surprise third place seating at the moment right now, kind of firmly ensconced in third place. And then we also have Adam Stanko, friend of the breakdown, coming out to talk a little bit more about that Virginia game and some other NCAA basketball. And uh, Steve Kyler, the man behind the plan, basketball insider. So don't go anywhere. No flipping. I'm Coach Nick, and this is the Basketball Breakdown. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, everybody. I am back. Welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown. As always, I am Coach Nick, if you're just joining us. And I run B-Ball Breakdown over on YouTube and Twitter and everywhere else on the social media network. Um, and I'm really excited to get this show going. We have another great guest to talk about the uh, Portland Trailblazers in a minute. And certainly they are the surprise team, I think, of the season this far, in a, firmly in that third spot. 
And I think I need to wrap my head around what's going on here because we might even have like a very dark horse MVP, MVP candidate. Certainly, it's sort of like Harden and then everybody else. So with that in mind, let's bring on Sean Hyken, who is an NBA writer for Bleacher Report and other outlets. And we're here to talk some Blazers. So, Sean, thanks for coming on the show tonight. How you doing, buddy? It's been a while. It's been way too long. Glad to hear your voice. And I thought you can just, let's break into this, man. Let's not waste any time. Like, what is the key here to what the Blazers have been doing all year to get so high in that standings? Well, I mean, if you want to talk about what the biggest difference is, and I, I think maybe this is just because, like, they're buying in more to, you know, Terry Stotts or, or just the personnel has more time together. And, you know, they have a whole year with Nurkic and all that kind of stuff. But the defense is much, much improved from where it was last year. If you look at the last two years with basically this same, you know, core group, you know, post Lamarcus Aldridge, where it's, you know, the team is built around Dan and CJ and you've got these other role players. 2015-16, they were 20th in the league in defense. Or no, they were 21st uh, that year. And then this, and last year they were 21st. Now they're eighth. And so I think just the defense, you know, on top of that, the offense, you know, being what it is with Dame and CJ, both guys who can, you know, score 30 on you on any given night. And then they have these, you know, they have these role players who know their role, like Alfred Camino, Evan Turner, as much as people, you know, like to pile on him because of his contract. He's been good in his role for them this year. Nurkic has been solid. Zach Collins, the rookie out of Gonzaga, has been making an impact lately. You know, it's just a solid, deep team that everybody, everybody on the team knows their role and they are well coached. And, you know, I just, I think, I think they're really clicking this year. So what about Evan Turner? Because I'm not even concerned about the contract. I just feel like whenever I watch a Portland Trailblazers game, like he's the guy, like if you're in a pickup game and he gets next, you're just like, uh, or like he picks you up or you're on his team. Can you help me put my finger on exactly what it is or maybe convince me that I shouldn't be so frustrated, but there's something about him and I can't quite put my finger on it. What do you think? Well, he's not a very aesthetically pleasing guy to watch. So I, I kind of get it, but like, <laughs> He actually, you know, he actually works well with the second unit. He can work as a secondary ball handler if they want to take play, you know, Dame or CJ off the ball. You know, he's a guy that, you know, you can put in a variety of different roles. He's got size so he can, you know, guard different positions. I, you know, I think he's just kind of grown into, uh, you know, what what they envisioned his role being when they signed him to that contract. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it is he likes to over-dribble a little bit. Maybe his shot isn't so – it certainly isn't pleasing. Um, and I just feel like sometimes, like, they get stuff going, and then all of a sudden the ball's moving, it's exciting, and then, then he just – it just stops. But let's move on to Damian Lillard because certainly um, I would argue he might have the best argument for, you know, next in line behind Harden for MVP. Well, he'll get some votes for sure. Like, I mean, with the caveat, obviously, that James Harden is going to win MVP. James Harden should win MVP. Like, that's, like when you say that any of these guys are in the MVP conversation, we mean that they're in the conversation for second, third, fourth, fifth place, because James Harden is going to win the MVP. But, uh, yeah, I mean, out of anybody else in the league, yeah, you, 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 look, at, you look at a guy like him, you look at Anthony Davis, uh, you know, I think those are the next two in line, you know, with, with what Dame has been doing, with how he's just been carrying them. You know, he's having a career year in terms of his individual numbers, but also, uh, you know, carrying them down the stretch he's had a lot of clutch performances and then obviously this winning streak uh has you know i think that's really helped his case but yeah i mean he's been as impressive as anybody in the league outside of james Harden. so and also is he the same kind of guy in the clutch i know there was a year no i mean two or three years ago where he was just insane uh down the stretch and hitting shots and um are we still seeing that kind of performance from him uh, going down the clutch down down the stretch in these games recently uh, we've seen it at times this year. I mean, they, a lot of times, you know, during this winning streak, they haven't really had to do that because they've been beating teams. The only, these games haven't really been close. The only game that they, uh, 
what won by fewer than five points was the game against Phoenix during this winning streak. And that, you know, that game, yeah, he did kind of take over and, and roll them back into that game. But other than that, they've just kind of been beating teams pretty handily. So you haven't really had to see a lot of clutch situations uh, for him to have be heroic in. For sure. And this is, it's, what's weird is that, like, you know, it seems like every team this year gets a 10 game winning streak minimum, <laughs> right? I think I counted the other day, it was something like six or seven teams. Has to be unprecedented. And certainly what the Blazers are doing right now is, is, is fast, fantastic for them. Uh, we don't have that many games left, which is kind of frightening to me. Uh, are they going to hang on and, and, and hold on to that third spot and, and get a, you know, a first round home game, a home series? You know, I think they have enough cushion at this point that they should be able to, barring a disaster. But the schedule is going to be pretty tough. You know, they've got Houston tonight. That starts in a couple hours. They've got the Celtics coming up. They've got the Clippers coming up. You know, they just beat the Clippers the other night. You know, they've got uh, another game against the Spurs. They have another game against the Rockets later on. They've got Utah. They've got kind of all these Western Conference teams that are sort of in the mix with them. And so, you know, those are going to be some pretty hard-fought games. So, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to take any nights off. But, yeah, I mean, seeing how well they're playing right now, you know, how handily they've been beating these good teams during this winning streak, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's no reason to believe they can't keep it going for another couple of weeks. I don't know about not losing a single game in that time. I mean, I don't think they're going to end the season on a 24-game winning streak. But, you know, I don't think they're going to go into a total tailspin and somehow lose the position that they're in right now. Uh, I, I believe so. I mean, they have a two-game lead right now, and that's you know a pretty good, solid hold on that. Although the way the Western Conference is shaping up, it's it's insane. It's crazy. It's, who knows what could happen? And heck, they could go into a spin right and end up sixth or seventh the way this is going to happen. So uh, we'll have to see. Now, here's the other problem. I also have a problem with the Minu. <laughs> Yeah, I like the team. I like watching the team, but Aminu, you know, the way he shoots his jump shot, and I know he's about, he's probably is he still over forty percent from three this year? It's a good uh, question. He's, if he's not, he's close. Okay, so you know, which again is shocking, and part of the reason is because they just leave him completely open, right? I mean, they're not they don't they want him to shoot it, but um, what frustrates me about him, I think, is ball handling and the shooting, and then sort of the overall offensive skill issue. And that's when Zach Collins comes in. I, I think that he has a shot. I, obviously not this year, but uh, am I crazy to be as high as, on him as I, as I am right now? He's been solid. You know, he comes in, he's, you know, he looks like he could kind of be that stretch five. You know, he's shown an ability to you know, hit a mid-range shot, hit a three-pointer at times. He needs to bulk up a little bit, but I think he's going to do that. But, you know, I think he's a, he's got a, he's a guy that I think has potential in a couple of years to be a starter at, at, at center in the NBA. I don't know about right now, obviously, because he's a rookie, but he's been solid since he started getting minutes. Sure. And, you know, he actually already looks bigger to me now than he did even, you know, when he got f- finished college, right? I mean, is that, have you probably, you've seen him day to day. Have you noticed that, like, there are, he's already getting stronger? I think you're kind of starting to see the process. He's not quite where he needs to be yet. You want to see him out a little bit more, but, you know, he's definitely moving in the right direction. Okay, good. Well, you know, we have a, uh, a question over in the Periscope that uh, someone asked about Dame having a legit beef, beef with CP3. And I kind of miss it. I guess maybe did someone score at the end of the game and someone got really upset. Do you know what that's about? Uh, vaguely. I, I think, like, Chris Paul like, took a shot at the end of a game when, you know, the Rockets had it in hand and Dame saw it as disrespectful. I don't really ever like to get caught up in that stuff. I don't think that's really – like, out of – out of all the out of all the, the beefs that NBA players have gotten into with each other this year, I think this kind of pales in comparison to Rockets players trying to go into the Clippers locker room or some of the or you know J.R. Smith throwing a bowl of soup. I'm not really too worked up about Damian Lillard being mad at Chris Paul taking a shot at the end of a game in November or whatever. 
Fair enough. Now, by the way, that is an interesting question because these are men. This is the NBA. Yet there seems still seems to be some sort of Boy Scout code about certain things like that. I know in theory, like if it was baseball, they would have beamed him, I guess, the next at bat. Right. So what do you think about that? Are those legit gripes to even think about? Because we've seen it before where, you know, a guy shoots a three when they the buzzer when they don't, they're not guarding him. Uh, is that should that should that be an issue? Eh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really huge on unwritten rules or anything like that. But you know, these, I mean, yeah, these are prideful guys. They're going to be. I mean, you saw what kind of happened with the Lakers and the Nuggets a couple of weeks ago with Jamal Murray and some of the Lakers players saying he was being disrespectful, and they uh, played him again like the next. I mean, obviously, whatever this thing with Dame and uh, CP was all the way back in November or December. So I don't think that's really going to be that fresh in their mind. Or I don't think that's really going to affect the outcome of the game too much. But yeah, whenever, whenever there's that an excuse to add more drama to these kind of big time matchups it's on TNT tonight, so you know it's a national game, there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. You know, if that's what if that's what Dane needs to ramp it up to ramp up the intensity, yeah. All right. Well, listen. You just ramped my intensity up for this whole interview, so I can't thank you enough for doing that and bring me uh, coming on the show and breaking that down for us. So, uh, you know, really quickly, what's, what are you writing on right now? Uh, I've got a few different things I'm working on uh, that are going to be coming out in the next few weeks. I probably can't talk about them yet, but you know, I got I got some stuff coming. Just follow me on Twitter at Hiken H I G H K I N. Whatever I'm writing, you'll see it on there. There you go. Great shout out before I can get it out for you. But Sean, thanks for coming on the show so much. I really appreciate it. Great stuff, and we will catch up to you uh, down the line. Always good to talk to you, Nick. Thanks. Well, that was Sean Hyken, uh, and that, again, is uh, at Hyken. I don't know how he got that Twitter handle. It's a really great one, just his last name. And uh, make sure to check him out on Twitter and all the stuff that's happening over on the Blazers. And plus, he does all the NBAs. He's a really great stuff. He's been a writer uh, for a long time around these parts, and always great to talk to him. And uh, coming up on our next segment, we have Adam Stanko, who is uh, the best friend of the breakdown, and he'll be doing a lot of great stuff talking about uh, college troops and the NBA draft and how what happened for Virginia. So... You don't want to miss that. And then in our final segment after that, we have Steve Kyler. Actually, not our final. I have one more after that. But we have Steve Kyler coming up, the man behind Basketball Insiders. So lots to do, lots to talk about. Can't wait to get to it. And uh, if you want to check out what's going on in the game right now, do it. But make sure you come right back to the show, and I will catch up to you. I'm Coach Nick, and this is the B-Ball Breakdown. I wanted to take a quick break to talk to you about Simple Contacts, a convenient way to reorder your contact lenses that will save you money. When my wife runs out of her contacts, it's normally a nightmare to renew her prescription and sometimes she's forced to wear her old ones for days until she finds the time to go out and pick them up. With Simple Contacts, they bring the doctor to you. You can take a vision test at home in under five minutes, then a real doctor reviews your test and writes you a new prescription. This isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but it's the next best thing. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses and their prices are unbeatable and shipping is free. But my listeners also get 30 bucks off their first Simple Contacts order with code COACHNICK. To save 30 bucks on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com coachnick or enter the code COACHNICK at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash Coach Nick, or just enter my code at the checkout. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. What's up, sports fans? It's Coach Nick of the B-Ball Breakdown. The show is the B-Ball Breakdown. I'm glad to be here with you guys. 
Shout out to the uh, the first when we came back from the first break. We had Stone Temple Pilots playing, which was uh, definitely a big shout out for me. A good good choice. Uh, and let's get into our NBA discussion a little bit. We're going to have a really good guest to talk about. Actually, today we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, college stuff that's going on for this segment because I'm curious to hear his thoughts on what happened with the Virginia game and the UNBC, the biggest upset of all time, of which I did a video on. So without any further delay, let's bring on Adam Stanko, friend of the breakdown, TV producer, college hoops, and NBA draft insider, and man about town. Adam, are you there? I'm here, Coach. Do you, do you get uh, some free auto parts in that new studio of yours? You know, I do, but since I drive an electric car, they just sit there uh, in my garage. It's really, it's like a sculpture. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I kind of want to just produce this show like in the garage, like in, you know, literally with like, you know, uh, you know, a, a car jacked up behind me. That'd be great. Um, um, uh, I could see you being talented. In, with a <laughs> I wish. I wish. Well, you know, enough of this wrenches talk, and let's get into some basketball. Did you happen to see the Virginia UNBC game on Friday? I did see it, and uh, in fact, I was actually watching on uh, a streaming service that delayed about two minutes. My brother was at the game. I had to tell him at some point to finally stop texting me because he was giving <laughs> it all away. Um, wow, it's, it's always the worst when that happens. But I. I, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, you, you're talking about, you know, Virginia shoots one of nine from three in the first half. Scores tied at 21 at halftime. And, you know, Virginia sort of played their same style they played throughout the year. They they defensively were going to grind you out, uh, limit the amount of possessions, take their time on offense. And uh, Ryan Odom, Dave Odom's uh, son, the late Dave Odom's son, uh, made a great coaching decision in the second half. He came out and decided that they were going to play loose, they were going to speed up Virginia, and um, and really what was interesting was just to watch sort of the Virginia offense unravel as guys sort of got nervous, and um, we saw a lot of missed shots, we saw a lot of selfish play, we saw one-on-one basketball, and that's not what Virginia was all about, and then they give up 53 points in the second half, they were averaging giving up 53 points for the game throughout <laughs> the year, one of the best defensive teams we had seen. They had the best uh, defensive adjusted, uh, defensive efficiency rating since the Kentucky team that went 38-1 and a couple of years ago. So this was an excellent defensive team, which really struggled against um, triple penetration. And offensively, they, they became rattled. And, and truth be told, I think that's a big difference between NBA play and college play is that in this NBA tournament, this is a one-and-done mentality, you know, win or go home. The, the doubt starts to creep in, the nervousness starts to creep in, and the amount of pressure when no number one seed's ever lost just can completely paralyze the team, and I think that's what happened to, to Virginia in that second half. Yeah, that sounds right to me. And also, you know, I, I basically eviscerated Tony Bennett in the video I did on Monday because, uh, you know, I, I never liked the, the offense they run. Like you mentioned, there was you know, they were out of character, certainly, the way they run, ran their offense. But they run it. It's called movers and blockers. And so basically two guys are – only their only job is to set screens. Basically, they might catch the ball real quick on a turnaround, like a post up or whatever, and they got to give it right back to the guards. And I just think I'm just so opposed to, to that kind of offense because I, I just believe that guys should be allowed to move a little bit more freely and catch the ball and actually look at the basket. Uh, and I really feel like that was a big detriment. Also, when you have the two guys who are only screening, they're generally around the basket most of the time. There was no there were no driving lanes. Yes. 
You're absolutely right. And and I'll tell you something. There's really now this this debate that started amongst you know college basketball people about whether you can win in general if you're not playing loose, you're not playing uh, with more of an up tempo offense, um, and you know with guys having more opportunities to score, whether whatever your offense is, flex, horns, motion, um, anything that's more sort of free flowing, you know the the, the stuff that that you get into, you know, that gets a little bit wonky for fans. But, you know, you also see, I, I think coaches love to, ha- and we saw this in the NBA years ago, and I think it's gone less this way, but just sort of the amount of control that coaches want sometimes over their, their program, certainly on the offensive end, where they want to almost control every single possession and limit things, which oftentimes I feel like, just, just from um, a confidence standpoint, can really limit your guys, especially if they start missing shots. What's your thought on that, Coach? Uh, you know, I agree. I, I feel like I would never want to call a play. Like I was a triangle offense coach. Like one of the big reasons I loved it was because I could just sit there and it's just read and react, and they just sort of they play. It's five on five, and they, they are the ones who control their destiny. And without a question, even though the shot clock's gone to 30 seconds, which was supposed to sort of limit a little bit of that control, uh, you know, I, I, just don't, I just don't see why you'd ever want to play that way, even in a situation where I guess it would dictate that that's, that might be the best way to do it. Um, and it but it's so disappointing the old school, the way they align themselves. How do they do it? Like, like so when I showed on the defensive end too. So they play pack line defense, which I'm not a big fan of either. And they allow a lot of middle penetration. They want people to go in middle where it was supposedly the help is, but that to me just generates a lot of open threes, which we saw UMBC get. So, what? How do they do it? Like, how do they hold teams to 53 points a game or whatever it was during the regular season? Well, I think mostly. Uh, you know, in addition to just playing these straight pack line defense, I think mostly the biggest thing that, that Virginia does is they're constantly practicing defense. You know, if Virginia practices, that's that's what their main focus is all the time is is on the defensive end. And the and what they've really done is gotten their kids to just buy in to making sure that they're getting stops on each possession. They also use offense as their defense. I mean. You know, in the college game, there's so many teams that are used to just coming down and, and taking quick shots early on in the shot clock. Virginia doesn't do that. They drain the clock, limit the amount of possession. So in a way, part of their strength on defense is the fact that they frustrated you so much. You know, we used to see this with Pete Carrill's teams at Princeton where they take so long to take a, to get a shot off, they're draining the shot clock down on every possession. But by the time you get the basketball, you know, it's your natural instinct to say, "I got to go hoist this thing up because we got to start putting points on the board." Um, and and I think that offense can sort of be one of their their best uh, one of their best strategies defensively. But but also again, these kids buy in; they grind on every possession. It's total commitment, total buy in, and that's what made this whole thing so shocking. They were all of a sudden turning to the refs, complaining to the officials. They were going one on one on offense. It just it was very uncharacteristic. And what I found to be so fascinating was that normally Tony Bennett. You know, normally a coach may make adjustments in that situation, but that worked for them all season long. I mean, this team had never trailed by more than 13 points all season. They didn't even know what it felt like, and I think they just went into panic mode, and he tried to play it cool and, you know, was sort of one of those Phil Jackson moments of like, all right, my guys are going to play through it, and they just never could. They could never get over the hump, and UMBC kept hitting shots, and that's it. Curtain. Yeah. And once they went down by 12 points with about eight or nine minutes to go, I think they really sensed that they were simply weren't going to score another 12 points for the rest of the game. And so that was really a problem that they, you know, that's why they probably panicked a bit of it. So let's let's pivot for the last few minutes we have here uh, to talk about um, Sean Miller, because 
I'm kind of curious your thoughts. This is more maybe even more up your alley. Uh, you know, there were some pretty damning reports. He's lost some recruits, but he, he's fighting it. He's basically saying it's not true what they heard about. Uh, supposedly there's a tape of him on, on the phone talking about money and whatnot. What, what, can you break some news for us? Well, in terms of breaking news, I mean, the most, the, 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 what we know for sure, factually, is that Arizona's losing their entire starting five, um, you know, for next season. Alonzo Trier is leaving school. Um, DeAndre Ayton, of course, is, is, is leaving school. Uh, Parker Jackson Cartwright, Dusan Ristich, our, our, our graduating Raleigh Alkins is also entering the draft. So they're losing their entire starting five, and they had some huge commitments, um, Javon Quinterly, the point guard who's now going to Villanova. You had uh, uh, Shaq's kid who's now going to UCLA. They lost, so basically they lost their entire recruiting class, and right now they don't have any commits. Um, so there's no commitments, and you're losing your entire starting five. So things look pretty bleak just from that end. In terms of the the other news, I mean, you know, look, there were, the reports came out. There were allegations made by Mark Schleybaugh of ESPN, and then Sean Miller uh, refuted those allegations. So it, Someone's got a tape somewhere of some evidence, and it, it may be an FBI headquarters, but it's going to come out eventually, whether it's in court or what have you, and we'll see who's on the right side of history. But as of right now, I mean, Arizona's program is struggling, and it's, it's, it's really hard to see just on the basketball side of things what Sean Miller is going to be able to put out on the court, considering you had DeAndre Ayton, who's a once-in-a-generation type player, and you couldn't get out of the first round against the 13-seed Buffalo. So, you know, what are you going to do when next year your team is made up of grad transfers and late, late commits? It, it's going to be a difficult, uh, a difficult season for sure for Arizona. Well, that's absolutely true. But what was not difficult was having you on the show today to talk about uh, what's going on in the, in the college <laughs> basketball. So, uh, Adam, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And if you want to find him, and you do uh, on Twitter, it's at NaismithLiz, as in Dr. James Naismith, Naismith Lives. Uh, so definitely give him a follow on Twitter. And uh, I cannot wait to uh, hook up with you again and talk more college. And we'll have to talk about the draft next time, Adam. Absolutely. I can't wait to listen to the rest of the show. I'm always in, Coach. Awesome. Well, I'm in too, and I'm Coach Nick, and this is the B-Ball Breakdown. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. It is Coach Nick. This is the B-Ball Breakdown. Not break up, breakdown, because that we are doing, that's what we are doing. We are breaking down the NBA. And uh, so we had a great segment there. We, I, I basically was able to um, pour out my heart about why I don't like the way Tony Bennett coaches. But, that's, but that said, he is probably the best coach in college. He gets the most out of what he has. Um, I just suspect that it, as going forward and as these teams are shooting. So I think part of the problem with the pack line defense is that they allow middle and they try and close out. 
But these teams are now going to start shooting from two, three, four feet behind the three-point line. And that kind of spacing is going to be really hard to defend when you're playing that way because the drive into the middle is still, you know, a uh, it's still in the same spot in the into the key, and then the close out and try and get a hand up that will actually affect a three point shot is um, you know a real problem that will ultimately if they don't adjust they're going to you know give up open threes and then the question is will they get hot? Um, certainly, um, we saw UNBC get hot, but you know that's what a, a D one team looks like. If you got a couple shooters, I, I would imagine that most D one teams. Um, have shooters like that. So at least one or two. And so that's an interesting question that he might have to ultimately uh, decide if they want to adjust the way they play defense. Now, offensively, again, same other same problem because they have these two guys who are always setting screens. There's nowhere to drive. There's no spacing. Um, even if you are a, a less talented offensive team, you need to be able to have that kind of spacing in this day and age. Uh, or at least maybe, you know, use it to, um, use it to penetrate with a, with a low post pass. So. As we try and find Steve Kyler out there in the, uh, in the ways to come on the show, I'll, we'll keep talking. Maybe we'll have some questions here. Um, so that was one question we have over at Periscope, which, which what do you think of Tony Bennett as a coach? So, again, I can't stress the guy, is, his record is unparalleled. It's, it speaks for itself. He's been a winner everywhere he's gone. He's got the pedigree with his father. I mean, I remember his father, Dick Bennett, was at Milwaukee, UW-Milwaukee, and I was at Wisconsin, and we were preparing for them and um, remembering how to, we were preparing for the pack line defense, what that meant. And, and I can tell you, I, I went to, you know, let's see, I ran. I didn't ran, but I worked, you know, hundreds of practices when I was a manager in Wisconsin, and uh, I hardly remember any of them. But one that I do remember is when Stu Jackson, the head coach, we had to prepare for UW Milwaukee. Definitely a, a real, I don't know, it's stuck in my mind. So I've never forgotten that. And uh, again, I'm a strict, no, excuse me, I'm a strict no middle defense guy. So I want, uh, I don't want the defense, uh, the offense again in the middle because you'll notice even a, t- a guy who's not very talented, if you get him to the middle of the floor, he looks like an all star. So uh, that's what you want to avoid. Well, without any further ado, let's bring on our last guest of the night. And uh, as always, I reserve the last for best or best for last. Let's bring on Steve Kyler, the man beside, behind Basketball Insiders. Steve, are you there? I'm with you, Nick. How are you? I am good. I'm good. It's good to hear your voice live on the radio. You sound much better when you're live on the radio. Did you know that? <laughs> well, I do have kind of that, you know, tram operator at Disney World kind of vibe going on. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, awesome. Well, you know, it must be your proximity to Disney World. So we're, we're talking here, we're talking NBA. Um, we have some interesting storylines here. What do you think is going to happen here with this ridiculous Western Conference bottleneck from third to eighth or from third to tenth, basically? Well, you know, I I think it's interesting because we kind of get caught up in that. But you and I both know that we're talking about a two-horse race in the Western Conference in terms of a healthy, can we get a healthy Golden State Warriors team and a Houston Rocket team. I think what Portland is doing right now is really impressive, and I think you have to know that the Oklahoma City Thunder were going to find their way. They've got too much talent. But the reality is the next tier of teams is a real big tier down um, it's going to be interesting because I think there's some teams that could make things fun for Houston, make things fun uh, for the Golden State Warriors, not only deeper into the playoff picture, but in the first round. Like, I would love to see New Orleans pull the Golden State Warriors uh, in the first round. I think that's a great kind of first-round matchup that's really going to test. Um, and then more importantly, not allow the Warriors to try to rest players and get healthy. So I think it becomes much more of a contest this year 
you know, I think it's always been kind of anticlimactic that it's going to be the Warriors and it's going to be the Cavs. This year, I think you can make a case that it could be any of three or four teams. And I think that's a good thing. But, you know, I look at it and say still at the end of the day, if I'm a betting man, it's either going to be Houston and Golden State at the Western Conference. The rest of it is just kind of drama in the middle. Uh, that's that's fair enough. And, you know, the problem with the Pelicans is they might not even make it at this point. Uh, the Jazz might not make it. I mean, the Jazz are so hot at this point that I would assume that they're going to, you know, get themselves ensconced. But what do you make of this? Like the Timberwolves are, are tied in a th- – uh, sorry, they're two games up uh, of the Clippers and the Nuggets. Now, are the Nuggets dead? Are they, have they gotten the, the, uh, the sword stuck in them and pulled out? Just about. You know, I'm a big fan of the last ten. I think the last ten – games really illustrates who you are and sure there's some matchups to play into it how many road games how many back-to-back type situations are you the last 10 kind of says you're trending in the right direction and i look at the timberwolves and sure they may get jimmy butler back here next week and that's certainly a, a huge boost but i don't like who they've been in the last 10 games i don't see a team that matters you know if they get in they're going to get swept you know they're not a team that's getting in and challenging um, you know, I kind of look at the Pelicans, and I, 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 I'm almost with you on this. Here's what I look at. The Lakers aren't going to get there. I think the Denver Nuggets aren't going to get there. I think the L.A. Clippers, if there were 10 more games, if we weren't talking about 11, 12 games left in the season, if we were talking about 20 games left in the season, maybe they could make up enough ground to get there. But they're just good enough to be out. So I do think that, you know, the teams we're talking about in terms of San Antonio, Utah, uh, New Orleans and the Timberwolves are going to get in. But what do they look like when they get there? I don't think the Timberwolves are going to be very formidable. I think the Pelicans are really interesting because of the way Anthony Davis is playing. And you mentioned Utah. I think Utah is the giant killer of all of this because yeah. they've got so many things going their way. They play great on both ends of the floor. Donovan Mitchell has been an X factor for them, but they've got guys that are just like sneaky good guys. You know, the Joe Ingles of the world um, that just kind of make a lot of really good plays. And Nick, I think you can appreciate this more than anybody. The difference between a win or a loss in the playoffs is two or three really good plays. And the Jazz really have the makeup of a team that can make those two or three plays or maybe you counted them out, or maybe you didn't think about the altitude, or maybe you didn't get a good night's sleep, and they can sneak up on you. And I think they've got the ability to score points. And I think that's the one thing that, that you look at in terms of you've got to be able to score in the postseason. And I think they can score. Absolutely. All, all great points, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to a Utah Jazz. And I think they're, they're going to get to that fourth, fifth seed, and if the, either way they can win that first-round series. They could beat OKC in a first-round series, I think. Uh, and then we get maybe the Golden State Warriors against them, and that would be a fantastic matchup to Quinn Slander versus Steve Kerr, so a lot of intrigue there. But what's even more intrigue, I'm kind of curious on your take, is you're the man that we all turn to when we're talking about hot seats with coaches. Uh, we have some interesting storylines with that. Uh, what do you make of, let's just pick a, a team here, Milwaukee. What do you hear what's going on there with the next coach? Milwaukee's going to do a real search. They're going to go out and try to find it, uh, a real leader for the team. I think Joe Prunty has done an incredible job. Those that know, know that Joe Prunty is a really good coach. But I don't think that's the right situation for him to really get his first serious head coaching job. You know, that's going to be the interesting one because – They've got a lot of things riding on this decision. You know, think about it. 
you know, Giannis is on board, but for how much longer? It, they're going to be a playoff team, but can they really compete this year? You know, if, if they're not really in the championship hunt, they're going to face the same problem other teams have, which is when does a superstar turn on you? You know, we're kind of starting to see that with New Orleans, and there are a lot more talk about Anthony Davis leaving than Anthony Davis staying, and the easiest way to cement that is to get the right head coach. So they're going to do a real search. You know, I really like what they what they have already on the roster. So that's a really good job. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're talking about, you know, the, the David Sisdales and, and the guys that, that really could do something with that roster, um, I don't think you're going to see a reach-ready type guy. I think you're going to see a, a younger kind of guy in there, one, because of just how the age of the roster is. But more importantly, I think just where the team wants to be in style of play. Absolutely. It's a great job. I think they have a lot of great athletes. They just need, you know, someone who can come in there and command the locker room and give them enough of a structure that they could do better. I still don't like the way they run their offense and to help generate offense for Giannis. So they need someone who can come in there. I don't know if that's Fizdale, but certainly his name comes up quite a bit. Any other teams that have, uh, you know, like, is, is Thibodeau safe? Well, Thibodeau's safe, yeah. I don't think we're talking about Thibodeau, but, you know, we stand in Gundy's safe. I think that's the real question. You're talking about going into year five in Detroit. I think Stan's going to see his role change a little bit. I think there's been so much talk about it that if, you know, Tom Gores comes to him and says, Stan, we want to take away power and we want to take away this, unless it comes with a multi-year extension attached to it, I think Stan may take his basketball and go to his porch in Florida. Um, it, it may be a big change, uh, you know, in Detroit. I think Steve Clifford in Charlotte has to be worried. They're going after a new general manager. That general manager is going to be empowered to remake the team in their image. Um, so that probably means Steve Clifford in Charlotte is out. Again, another great coach. That's probably best being a lead assistant, not necessarily so much a head coach. Um, Jeff Hornacek is probably out in New York. That one's pretty safe money. Frank Vogel in Orlando looks like he's out at the end of the season. Um, we'll see what happens with Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta. <laughs> that one just seems like they're going in a in very different directions. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mike's out there. Doc Rivers with the L.A. Clippers. I love what Doc Rivers has done with these new guys, and I think it kind of illustrates that I think Doc's methodology runs he runs out pretty quick. I think new guys relate to Doc really well. Guys that have been in the league don't, um, so they tend to tune him out a little bit. Um, I'm interested to kind of see what happens in Memphis. They've got an interim coach there. They're going to go coach shopping, um, and certainly the Phoenix Suns are going to go coach shopping. So there could be six, seven jobs that I'm talking about you as the next head coach for. Crazy. I mean, this, this reminds me, I think we had, a like I don't know, four or five years ago where we had, it wasn't like half the coaches turnover, but it was it was double digits, I think. Am I crazy? Isn't that right? Yeah, there were double-digit turnovers, and, and not only that, there were, like, real winning coaches. Remember, that was the year Lionel Hollins wins Coach of the Year, and he's out. So um, it, it's big. But I think the other part, too, is if you look at last year, there were no meaningful coaching changes, no coaching changes in the offseason. So whenever you go from a year where nobody got moved, that you're going to end up with a year like this year where you have four or five jobs. Um, and I think it's a good, you know, the, the game is changing. You know this as well as anybody. You talk about it all the time at, at B-Ball Breakdown, that, that the game is evolving. You know, it is more of a pace and space game. It is more of high volume, high touches, you know, lots of shot attempts. 
Um, and that's a very different game. And I think you've seen some of the older coaches struggling with it. Some of the newer coaches, the more inventive coaches, you know, maybe we'll call it the Mike D'Antoni factor, but there is a resurgence of try to get, you know, 100 possession, 115 possession type games where you're really amping up the shot attempts because I think that's how everybody wants to play. I, I agree. And in fact, we mentioned with the Kings that they're shooting, they're like third in the league in three point percentage, but they don't take any threes. And it just drives me crazy. But I guess that's what tanking looks like for you. But uh, without question, yeah, but we're moving again, into. That's, that's Dave yeah. Yeager, who I think is a great coach, but I don't think his methodology lines up. I think when you look at a team that's got 23 wins right now, there's a reason. If, if they were shooting more threes or they were playing more up tempo, you know, they're such a slave to the defense first mindset. And I think you have to be defensive oriented to win, but you have to really be willing to run and push and shoot. Because look, I think Houston has shown you the way. If you can get up 43 a night, you're going to run more teams out of the gym than not because you have teams, more importantly, have players that can make those kinds of threes in volume. Absolutely. Well, uh, you are the man who can make those plays as well in volume, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You are, it's at Steve Kyler NBA Basketball Insiders. Thanks so much for coming on, and don't stay tuned, sports fans, as we come back for our last segment. And this is Coach Nick, and it's also the B Ball Breakdown. It's the B Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Coach Nick. Hey, sports fans. It is Coach Nick. This is the B-Ball Breakdown, as that awesome voiceover just told you. And uh, another fantastic show in the books. We had some really good guests. I was really happy to have Sean Hyken come on. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. We break down, broke down some of the Blazers and what's going on there. And we had uh, friend, the best friend of the breakdown, Adam Stanko, uh, talk to me and talk me through my issues with Virginia uh, because I still just have these issues with their philosophy, yet they're just dominant over the last several years. And Tony Bennett has been a dominant coach wherever he's gone. But I just feel like what he's doing now is a little bit old school and a little bit outdated and eventually it's going to be a problem. And then we had Steve Kyler of the Basketball Insiders coming on to break down the Western Conference playoff race. Plus, the best part of that segment was who was on the hot seat. And it was kind of crazy to look at how many darn coaches out there. If you have a coach in front of your name, you better be careful. I better make sure I don't get fired from my job. So uh, a lot of uh, openings, openings there that will you know, cause seismic shifts across the country because you know, a college coach might jump up to another bench in the NBA, and then all of a sudden the college ranks get messed around. With this FBI investigation is going to most likely uh, you know, cause some serious upheaval amongst the college ranks. So there's going to be some interesting coaches uh, moving around and getting some jobs uh, in this coming up year. And we'll have to see if uh, out of that tumultuous nature or tumultuous period, maybe, you know, a coach who gets a shot who probably wouldn't have in the past uh, ends up, you know, tr- making his mark on the game of basketball and will never to be forgotten. So interesting thing to keep your eye on there. Uh, we have a great game coming up. I know I'm going to be out there on Twitter watching and tweeting and uh, sharing uh, video clips with the Rockets at the Blazers. A real good chance on TNT for everyone to see how far they've come and whether or not the Blazers are for real. I'm not sure they have to win that game, but they definitely need to be competitive to show us that they have uh, that third seed on lock and that they can be competitive in the playoffs beyond the first round. So really exciting stuff to see as we uh, progress. And then certainly... Uh, as we move along the rest of the season, it's almost over, folks. So stay tuned over at my YouTube channel, B-Ball Breakdown. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those different things. And again, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here, it's the B-Ball Breakdown. <laughs>